everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. The early church, they operated in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire where Christianity was illegal, uh, if you've seen the movie like Gladiator, the Christians were literally sent into the arena to, to fight lions and gladiators, uh, where, where plague and sickness was running rampant. And there was this little thing called the church that just exploded in growth. It just all kinds of people came from the Roman Empire into the church because outside in the empire, they were nothing. They had no status. They had no inherent value. The, the empire would crucify you or make you a slave they, they didn't see your in, in, inherent humanity, but inside the church, whether you're a slave or a prostitute, current or former, whether you had status in the empire, you were all equal. And one of the ways they operated that is they offered a welcome. Uh, one of the great traditions of the church is we welcome the stranger. Now, I know over the last year with COVID, not having time to greet each other in the service has been the introvert's dream. And I'm now about to remove that from us and put us back in the nightmare that we used to live because uh, valuing each other, welcoming the stranger and exchanging your name is just one of the baseline behaviors in a church. So those of you in the room, I'm going to invite you to stand. Those of you online, I'm going to invite you into the chat and just take some time to say hi and meet some folks. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes so there'll be time to settle in beyond just that awkward name. All right. Hey, if you got into a good conversation, uh, one of the simple things you can do, whether you're in this room or whether you're joining us online, is you can continue that conversation at the end when we dismiss and just continue the, the ancient and what is really a radical practice of hospitality. Uh, the reason I'm, I'm banging this drum, I guess, or nailing, uh, hammering this nail, whatever metaphor works for you right now, musical metaphor or carpentry metaphor, you can choose is because I, I think in some ways our, our culture is moving back toward that, where there's more hostility outside the church than in, and, and that if we become a place of radical welcome, acceptance, and hospitality, people are hungry for that. So, so for all of us to just to stay in the practice of that. All right, 
So we are in a series called The Body of Christ. We're taking a look at what it means to be the church today. And we've done something we've actually never done before as a church where we take one passage and we just wring it to death for several weeks. And so what we've done is we've had several different speakers. And so Tom Morris kicked off our message. And as I said last week, out of all my years of hearing 1 Corinthians 12, it's the finest message on 1 Corinthians 12 I've ever heard. So if you didn't catch Tom's message, I'd encourage you to grab that. And then last week, I kind of went through the passage This week, we're going to let the passage inform the talk rather than really camp in that passage. So if if you're joining us for the first time, you might have to do some work on your own this week. But uh, I I found an interesting statistic. There's a survey group that specializes in surveying for churches uh, called Barna, the Barna Group. And this week, they just released this statistic. I'll show you the chart. 22% of church-going regulars have opted out of church both in person and online since COVID started, 22%. Now, this isn't followers of Christ. Uh, That's a different category. There's a whole category of people who are followers of Christ who would have what's best described as a very loose relationship with church attendance, or actually there's a group of followers of Christ who would say, I do better following Christ without being a part of a church than being with it. No, this is just the people who say that church attendance is a regular important habit to them, 22% of them have now changed their habit. Now, what does that mean? We don't know. That doesn't mean it's terminal. It doesn't mean that they're gone forever. Maybe people will trickle back. But when I looked at that statistic, it's about one-fifth. That's a chunk of people. Um, Here's what occurred to me. As long as I've been a pastor, somebody has been crying doom. And I'm not speaking against Barna. They're not trying to cry doom. They're just trying to share information But what's, of course, happening now is people are taking that Barna statistic and they're blogging and tweeting about doom of the church. I've been a pastor 25 years, and I'm a Gen X, Generation X, which I believe is the best generation. 80s music, we we created that, people. We created... Some boomers are trying to take credit for the 80s. No. In excess, Eurythmics, need I say more? So we're a fantastic and humble generation. We've been lost in the shuffle between the, just because you fought in World War II and then you guys invented the internet. Like, we're there stuck in the middle. I get it. But listen, my point being, facetiousness aside, when I was in my early 20s, people were saying the church was doomed, that people are leaving the church in droves. And of course, you know, what happens is every generation from the teenagehood to the 20s, people leave. Every generation because they're trying to figure out what they believe. They're going through an entire disorientation and reorientation of their faith. And like what happens, not that everyone will get married and have a kid, but for people who do have a child, you give birth to that child and you look at that child and you cannot look at a newborn baby without wondering if there's a God. It's impossible. You look at that baby and you say, there must be more to life. And then you also are saying, what kind of world am I giving to this child when this child's an adult? And what kind of spiritual beliefs am I passing down? And you come back to church. So every generation does this. But I'm seeing a lot of doom. And also because of a lot of what Discovery's gone through this last year, we've had tremendous uh, staff transition, COVID, obviously. Obviously, I'll be transitioning this year. We've had to cut our budget. We announced, I think it was two weeks ago, that we've made a fairly sizable cut in our budget. You could be, uh, you could be understood for thinking, well, Discovery is doomed, or, or like this is a sinking ship. So I just wanted to say a couple of things. First of all, what is true is the prophecy of Jesus himself when Jesus said, 
the gates of hell cannot prevail against the progression of the church. That's a prophetic statement by Jesus 2,000 years ago. I want you to keep in mind that the context that Jesus said that in, he's in the Roman Empire where he's a minority. He has 12 people who basically agree with him and millions who thinks he's nuts or should be killed. He's got 12. Even out of the 12, three of them are really sketchy. One's about to deny him. One's about to sell him out to his, against his enemies. And, and one... Um, is just doubts that he even is who he says he is. Like nine out of 12 of the disciples are, are moderately successful here. And so here is Jesus in the shadow of a temple to a God of the Roman Empire saying, the gates of hell cannot prevail when the church is advancing. When the church is advancing. And what's true about discovery as well is when we're not in trouble. We have absolutely right-sized we are a much smaller group of people than we were before. And so, for example, our budget cut is a necessary adjustment. I love the way uh, Tom, who preached, he's our executive pastor, he was telling our staff recently, he says, things are not bad, we are making adjustments now so things don't get bad. We're just looking at the size and what we need to do to stay healthy. We're vibrant. We are using ministry money. When people call in need of benevolence, we pay. When people uh, call in need of counseling, uh, we pay. Also, with our unfinished campaign, even though COVID really did a number on it, we have hundreds of thousands of dollars set aside for unfinished initiative. We have big plans there. Uh, we have had and are having a lot of transition. And uh, we believe in just being pretty open here. The reality is, if transition goes really well between me and the next lead pastor, we will have a lot more transition. And that's if it goes really well. It's just the nature of change. Because what people do is they get very accustomed to one voice and one way of doing things, and then someone else comes in, and maybe this next person does it a lot better than I'm doing it, or they do it differently, and it's still well within the vision of our church, but it feels different. And so some people say, oh, it's just different now, and they leave. Others people say, well, God's gone. <laughs> that happened when I came. When I came 16 years ago, some people left. They say, the Holy Spirit's not with discovery anymore. Yeah, once in a while I think of those people. And you know what I think? Nina, 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 Nina. That's what I think. Like, we're thriving. God's at work. The Spirit of God is doing amazing things uh, through this place. And so what I would like to do is just talk about, okay, what is the church? If the church is a diverse body, then what is it? There's a, there's a cliche that goes around, and maybe you've heard it, where people say the church isn't a building, it's people. Those of you in the room, hands up if you've ever heard that. The church isn't a building, it's people. I cannot stand that cliche. If you've said that to cliche to somebody, I'm really sorry. I, I like you, I just don't like what you said. Because it's, not, it's never been a di that dichotomy. When we, when we went into COVID in March of 2020 and we, we weren't able to gather in this building, a lot of people really mourned. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like you love being in a place worshiping God. That's completely fine. And I got a little grumpy about the whole thing because, again, people online, church consultants mostly, they started to critique. They started to say, see, I told you it wasn't all about the building. I'm like, people are just mourning that they love to come to a place to worship God. They're not worshiping the building, any of that stuff. Um, th there's, a, there's a place a couple of hours from here, Camp Elam. Camp Elam. Uh, it is a Christian camp where for as long as I can remember at Discovery, 
we have sent our kids all summer. We have sent our women every year. We have sent our men every year and our teenagers every year for our own retreats. Camp Elam, about two and a half hours away, two hours away in Woodland Park, is a place and it holds tremendous meaning to us because of the ways we've encountered God there. I know for the Cuss family, it's been so special to us. The last time we sent one of our family members to Camp Elam was 15 minutes ago. Just let that sink in. I was up here chatting to some people between services. My middle son, Andrew, came running up. He's like, okay, Dad, here I go. I won't see him till Friday night. Big hug, big prayer, off he goes. The next time we'll, a Cuss family member will send someone to Camp Elam is a week from today, this Sunday. So this church, we're invested in this camp. The, ch the church is not a building, it's people. Come on now. Listen, here's what the church is. The church is place, partners, people, and presence. This is what I want to spend our time talking about this morning. The church is place, partners, people, and presence. Next time someone says to you, the church isn't a building, it's people, say, oh, come on now, and give them these four, and that'll rattle them long enough for you to run away. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's the best way to fight, just run away. The church is place, and the reason I bring up Camp Elam is because sometimes God uses temporary place in a really powerful way in our lives. If, if you like to read your Bible and you're not sure how to read your Bible, you're just looking for a, maybe a fresh way to read your Scripture, one thing you can do is just do a quick study of all of the times God shows up in a unique way when someone is in a temporary place. You know, maybe you left for college and you weren't home anymore. And God shows up in a unique way that God would not have showed up if you'd stayed home. Uh, this is why we use Camp Elam, because it's a temporary place. But also this place, this place, this building, this room, those of us who are in this building right now, if you love being in this building, that is a really good thing. The saints ought not give up the habit of meeting together. And one of the reasons you love being in this building is because following an invisible, intangible God is difficult, and one of the ways that God makes it easier is over memory over time, shared experiences over time. And so the habit of coming together on a regular basis is part of how the church is the church. Now, we could talk about a worship service in this room. I think what gets really exciting for Discovery is to not just talk about this building, but to talk about this property this property. Back in 2004, God led Discovery Church to purchase 18 acres of land. Out of the 18 acres that we own, about 12 of them are developable. I'm pretty sure that's a word. I was testing that on first service. Developable. It's a lot of syllables. Anyway, about 12 acres are developable. We have developed about an acre and a half. So we've developed just over 10% of our property. And God has given us this land to fully use it because church is place. And I think when people say the church is people, not a building, what they're trying to say is don't get wrapped up in one hour a week when you worship the church is more than that. Now that we can amen. We can, we can give a hearty amen. When God gave us this land, it became clear to us from the earliest set of elders that Discovery had to the elders we have today, it became clear to our elders that God was giving us this land so that we could worship God on it, 
so that we could welcome the stranger and so we could serve the needs of under-resourced people. These were the three purposes that God has given us this land so that every building we build ought to reflect worship, welcome, and systemic chronic poverty local and globally. And so it can be easy to forget just how busy this building was before COVID. I just want to give you just a handful of things that we used to do in this building before COVID took it away. And the reason I want to share it is God's bringing it back. Now, I don't know when. We are still being cautious and things are easing back. But we have a really exciting next few years just with this building. And we have a really exciting next few years when we all go outside and dig a hole for the next building that's coming, as well as the affordable housing that's going to be across the street. So before COVID, we had, I don't know if you know this, but we had a business that operated in the basement that was run by adults with special needs. It was a day center employment center with adults with special needs. They would come in, they'd hang out together. Oftentimes we would do our staff meetings in the next uh, door over. We could just hear these guys chatting. It was so much fun. And they would make uh, organic dog treats and they would make jewelry. And then they would sell them to provide them for themselves. Uh, we did that and we will do something like that again. We used to have counselors that would come into this building and use our office space for free so that in turn, rather than paying us rent, they would give us hours to give away to people in need. You, you wouldn't believe what it's like to be able to call the city of Broomfield and ask for a social worker who is at the end of her rope trying to help a family and say, hey, we can provide free counseling or $5 an hour counseling for your clients. Uh, we you, we've housed so many nonprofits who are looking for a place to meet to make their plans. You have no idea. We have housed families in this building, which, by the way, is not exactly code, so I'd appreciate it if you'd be discreet about that. Now, the reason I bring that up is uh, as we've had neighborhood meetings over the years, the early meetings were pretty hostile. The more recent meetings have been much better. We've seen tremendous progress of the gospel as we've really worked to love our neighbors. Uh, but in some of those earlier hostile meetings, we were sharing plans over all 18 acres. And everything I just shared with you and a lot more, our vision is to spread that over the whole land so that we wouldn't just have one office for two counselors. We would have a whole clinic for 20 counselors. We'd have supervision so that counseling students could do their residency here so they could charge 5 or $10 an hour therapy for people. Uh, we wouldn't just have nonprofits using uh, the conference room once in a while. We would have office space where nonprofits can occupy so that when skeptical people drive by our land and they're saying, what does the church do? The church does, doesn't do anything good. They would see on the marquee sign, home of Discovery Church and America's Kids Belong and all of these amazing nonprofits that are homing on this land, that we wouldn't just house homeless families in our building for a couple of weeks, that we'd actually build uh, homes, both transitional housing and affordable home ownership on our property. All of that is still in the plans. Uh, the unfinished campaign that COVID really took a nail to is still very much in force. We still have funding set aside. We still plan on doing more fundraising to go to make that happen. I remember some of those early, more hostile neighborhood meetings. I remember we were sharing all these visions, how excited we were for a counseling clinic and the nonprofit and the affordable housing. And this one person was so angry at us, and he was basically saying, what's going to happen when you do all this? All these terrible people are going to be on your property. It's going to bring down neighborhood values, all this kind of stuff. And I didn't mean to like, be snarky. I actually said it genuinely, and I thought this would help him, but it made it worse. 
I've said, you can relax, we're doing all that now. <laughs> we're doing all that in this building. We just need more buildings. Our dream is that this building would not be lonely. This barn cries itself to sleep every night. It's like, I'm so alone, I just want another building. 12 acres, 12 acres, people. You know, discovery, there's different phases of church life. It's probably not unlike uh, organizational and business life. W when I came to discovery in the early days, we were in a pioneering phase. Pioneering phase where we're full of dreams and there's, there's a lot of vision, a lot of excitement, and a few people do a lot of work. I, I remember one of my early meetings with the elders when I first came. I'd never led a church before, and I was so naive, and they were so patient with me. And I, but that was back then. We had about 150 people or so, and it seemed to me that everyone was doing five things for the church. I just remember like people are like on the setup and teardown team, and they're also an elder, and then they go serve in the children's ministry. They just did it all. And I remember saying to the elders, surely I can get up in front of the church and, and cast a vision. What if everyone just did one thing? Some of you were in that room when I said that, and the elders laughed at me. They're like, the church would die. If everyone just did one thing, nothing would get done. The pioneering phase, lots of dreams, lots of vision, lots of energy, and everyone doing it all. I think we're now in what I would call the establishing phase. We're not pioneering anymore. We have moved into this building. We have set the DNA of this church. Here's what we're about. And the DNA is embodied and fleshed out and lived out in the people. But we don't need more dreams and more vision. We need more resource. That's the establishing phase. We need more people and we need more money. That's it. If, if somebody wrote us a check for $10 million tomorrow, we have one lady in this church. Every time she sees our executive pastor, and by the way, she's sitting right there. Her name's Kathy. Her name rhymes with Kathy. She says to Tom, she's like, I'm just praying for that one check, that one check. I love that. Because if somebody were to give us $10 million, we could execute all the vision we have and then ask God for more vision after that. I remember sitting in a meeting a few years ago now because I, I get excited about vision. I think pioneering is my best contribution. And I actually think this is one of the reasons that God's calling me into this new venture and God's calling someone else who I think is better equipped to serve us in this current phase because I'm, I'm a pioneer. I get all excited. I get more vision, more vision. I remember a couple of years ago sitting down with one of our best staff members and I was all visioning and, and dreaming up. And he's like, Steve, hey, don't take this the wrong way. We have vision for 20 years. We just need resource. Can you get me resource? And then I'll make this vision happen. So place. So I, I bring that up because I want you to know that Discovery's best days on this property are in the future ahead of us. And every one of us get to be part of an establishing phase for this church. If you're not part of Discovery when we built this building, you might get to be part of it when we build the next one. It's one of the most exhilarating experiences of your life because you get to be part of something with a 50 or 100 year uh, impact for the kingdom. All right. So church is place. And you can see I get pretty excited about that. Church is also partnerships. I I've thought long and hard about this. Church is partnership. I don't think a church can be a church without local and global partnerships. I actually don't think we're a church unless we are partnering locally and globally with other Christians who are furthering the gospel like we are. 
I actually think that's one of the ways you can measure the health of a church is the quality of the partnerships. And I've got to tell you guys, Discovery has amazing partnerships. Just globally, I'll, I'll go really brief here. Bob and Susan Combs, they live in Compton, California. They've raised their children right in the heart of gang territory. Bob, apart from just being missionaries, Bob is a professional licensed contractor. So what he does is he takes young men and women out of gangs and he puts them to work renovating houses and building houses. So he's licensed and then they're kind of his labor. And it's a for-profit enterprise. He pays them and he gets paid for it. Some of you have gotten to go visit Bob and Susan for yourself. Some of you have had the privilege of meeting them when they're here with us in Colorado. I had the privilege of visiting Bob and Susan several years ago. And um, I'll never forget when Susan, she made this passing comment. She said, by the time somebody is 11 years old in Compton, they have PTSD. She said, you cannot understand Compton until you think of it through the lens of trauma and trauma triggers and post-traumatic stress disorder. Susan said, the average age for a Compton citizen to first handle a gun is eight. Is eight. Now, we're in Colorado. We're in a hunting state. Some of you are saying, well, I've let my child handle a gun at that age. Yeah, in Colorado, just to put a little pin on it, guns are for hunting. Now, when you hear that, it makes you want to do something about it. One of the things the gospel does is it actually makes you care about things that you don't care about. One of the things that the gospel does is it actually dislodges you and it makes you, it invites you to care about something that doesn't personally affect you. That's Bob and Susan. Uli and Nikki Dochi and the Elbasan Campus Ministry in Albania. Some of you have had the privilege of going to Albania. Some of you have had the privilege of meeting our Albanian sisters and brothers when they come to see us. The predominant thing we do uh, in Albania is we partner with them to teach English. They do these summer camps for college-age kids who want to improve their English. When they sign up for the camp, the college-age kids know that the Bible is going to be the predominant text for the English language, and they're so hungry to learn English, they're like, that's fine, I'll, I'll read anything. I, I remember I was teaching with a member of Discovery named Tim and another member of Discovery named Todd. The three of us were teaching a class. We had like 10 students. And we were just talking through the stories of Jesus. We did the prodigal son. We did the good Samaritan. They'd never heard of these stories. Never in their life had they heard of them. Most, of, most young Albanians are culturally Muslim but don't know what they believe and don't practice any faith at all. That's kind of the, the bread and butter college-age Albanian doesn't practice faith but would identify as like Muslim, which is to say in their context, they have no idea of the love of God. They don't know what grace is. They need it explained to them. And you, you, you haven't lived until you've taught your heart out for like two hours and you're exhausted from teaching for two hours. And then you take a coffee break and the same class, they just chase you to your coffee and they sit down and they say, could you tell us more about Jesus? I have never in my life spoken so much about Jesus Christ and the change he's made in my life and the change he can make in your life as I have in the 10 days I spent in Albania. It was unbelievable. I bet I talked about Jesus for about 50 hours that week. That's like throwing a pasta in the briar patch. And you can do that too. You know, we live in Colorado where people's spiritual hunger is really suppressed. Like there's pockets of it. People get a medical diagnosis or they have a death of a loved, something disrupts them, they lose a job. 
You go to Albania, you just see absolute spiritual starvation and hunger, people hungering and thirsting for the gospel. Uh, Dan and Christy Rich in Paraguay, they, you know, you spend about 20 hours getting to Paraguay, then you spend about 10 hours driving to Dan and Christy's house. They're in a really remote part of Paraguay. Some of you have had the privilege of going to visit Dan and Christy, and some of you have had the privilege of meeting them when they're with us. I've had the privilege of going down there a couple of times, and the first time, we fly all that way. It's overnight. We're all tired, and we get in our cars, and Dan says, hey, before we, before we travel, can I just pray for us? Now, it's a very simple rule. Anytime a missionary asks if they can pray, the answer is always yes. By the way, it was a rhetorical question. He wasn't actually taking a vote. Dan, please, let, pray for us. And Dan prays, and, and um, um, amongst what he prayed for, like he thanked God that we were there and all of that, I don't mean to be dismissive of that, but the prayer that got my heart was when Dan said, Lord, it's a long journey. Would you please make sure that the roads have not been washed out so we can get home? And just like Albania and Compton, something lodged in my heart. Like, I've never prayed for God's safety as I get home because the roads are paved and there's traffic. Like, like Dan and Christy live with a daily dependence on God that I cannot fathom, that, but that I aspire to. And they have to because of the culture they're in. And, and I, I won't get into our local partners. All, all I'll say is this. When you intentionally care about what Jesus cares about that you don't naturally care about, God does something in you. The reason to connect with our global partners, to find a local partner and jump in, is so you can grow. So you can grow. So your faith can be stretched. Place, partners, now, people. I'm just going to read a, a, a passage from the book of Acts that's completely out of context. It, it'll feel a bit like we've changed gears without a clutch. I trust you can go with me. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, end of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Purcurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Now, the reason I just read those names out of random is because we haven't really heard of any of them and we never hear about any of them again. You know, so often when we read our Bibles, we put all our attention on the so-called giants of the faith, Peter and Paul and the apostles. But did you know that the New Testament authors name 1,122 different people? 1,122 different people are named by the authors of the New Testament, the majority of whom are named one time and never heard from again. But these are the people that God used to build the church. We, out of the 1,122, we focus on like two. Peter and Paul would be our go-to characters in the New Testament. And I get it. They're giants of the faith. They're unbelievable. They're not like one in a lifetime, they're one in history kind of people and you and I will never be like them. And I don't know that God is asking you to be a Peter or a Paul. I think sometimes in the church we make the grave mistake of trying to turn every church member into a Peter or a Paul. I much prefer what Larry Osborne says. Larry Osborne, he's a preacher in San Diego, he says, what about the cobbler in Corinth? What about the dude that went to church on Sunday, wakes up Monday morning, he's a shoe repair guy, he's a cobbler. 
And Monday from 8 to 5 or whatever his hours are, he repairs shoes and he treats his customers well. Then he goes home and he feeds his family, loves his wife. Next day, goes to work again. That's his contribution to the kingdom. Osborne makes the case that the cobbler in Corinth built the kingdom as much as Peter and Paul, 1,122 different people. It takes all kinds of people. It takes a diverse type of people, which lends occasion for me to show this delightful photo of a turtle that's being ridden by a frog that's being ridden by a snail. It takes all of us, all kinds of people. I, I know, it doesn't really fit, but I, I liked it. So I want to simply ask you, ask you a question. What would it look like if you saw yourself as essential to the kingdom of God? I think the way the church flourishes and thrives is when every person who calls the church their home church sees themselves as essential to the flourishing of the kingdom of God right there. Whether it's <clears throat> ministries within the walls of this church, whether it's in your neighborhood, your workplace, what would that look like if you saw yourself as essential to the kingdom of God? We're in NBA playoff season right now. And the Denver Nuggets, our team, are doing really well. We recently defeated the Portland Trail Blazers in six games. We defeated them 4-2. to two. Game 5, for those of you who follow the NBA, was a game for the ages. This is one of the historically great games because it went into double overtime. Uh, I'm sorry to brag, but I was at that game. And it was amazing to be at it. I had a few words to say to the refs second half, but apart from that, it was a great game. And in that game, Damian Lillard, who plays for Portland... Damian Lillard scored 55 points and they lost. Now, if you don't follow basketball, that's a historically large amount of points to get in the playoffs. In fact, he broke all kinds of records. He made history and they still lost because the rest of the players didn't really do anything. It was all damned. It was unbelievable to watch in double overtime. I, I didn't pull the numbers for you, but so I, I may not have this exactly right. But it was something like Portland scored something like 32 points in double overtime and Dame scored 27 or 29 of the 32 points. It was just a one-man scoring machine. You couldn't believe we couldn't stop this guy. We, he just no matter where he was and how many hands were in his face, he was draining three after three after three. End of the match, he's firing away the MVP of the match, even though they lost. We were all like standing ovation for this guy. It was incredible to watch. He then faces the media. And all of the questions are, what was it like, Dame, to break records? Like, what a personal victory for you. How amazing it was for you that you got these, this historic moment. And Damien kept saying over and over again, it doesn't matter what I did. We lost. The team lost. If the team loses, I lose. Whatever happens with the team, that's what happens with me. How could I possibly celebrate when we lost the game? We all have to try harder next time. Meanwhile, on the Nuggets... We have a bench player named Monte Morris. No one really, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to Monte Morris. I'm a big fan of him, but no one really expects much out of him. He's a second string. He comes off the bench. When the Nuggets go to play, we go to see Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., and of course Jamal Murray before he was tragically injured. Monte Morris came off the bench at that game against Dame Lillard and scored 28 points. That's unheard of for a bench player. 
The last game he scored 23. He's just like getting warmed up, this guy. That's because Monte Morris didn't see himself as a bench player. He saw himself as essential to victory for the team. And the reason the, the Trailblazers lost is very simple. One guy saw himself essential and the other ones didn't. And the reason the Nuggets won isn't because of our superstar Jokic, although he's amazing. And I'm a big fan of that big Serbian. If I ever see him in person, I want to hold him and have him hold me. That's how much of a fan I am. I really like that guy. So I'm not speaking against our superstars. I'm saying that everybody on the bench, when they got on the court, they said, this is my game to win. That's what it's like to be the church. It's us. Those of you in the building right now, I'm just going to invite you to look around. I know it's awkward. Just look around. We may not be much to look at, but we're all we have. Like, this is us. It's us. We're it. And God can flourish his kingdom on us. No problem. It's not even going to make God sweat. Uh, I don't know how you're feeling coming out of COVID. I don't know how you're feeling coming out of what... We're, we're probably like midway through a transition as a church. I want you to hear how I'm feeling. I'm really excited for what's to come. I think we have the next four to six years of our history as a church is some of the most exciting for this church on what we can be establishing and growing and the impact we can take. And I hope you'll join us in that because there's going to be two types of people through this transition. There's going to be the people on the sidelines that say, well, they're probably going to screw it up. I'll wait and see. And then there's going to be the people that say, the church is every one of us. I'm rolling up my sleeves. I'm making this a part of the kingdom of God. And which part are you going to be? We can't make you choose. We're not a coercive environment. We're an opt-in environment. Now, we're going into summer, and one of the things that we are doing as a staff and as an eldership is trying to get an account of who is part of Discovery Church. And so one of the things you can do right now is you can help us by texting I'm in to this number on the screen, 888-627-6035. This is the third week we've invited you to do it. So those of you watching online, if you've been watching this and you're like, oh, I really should get around to it, today is the day to opt in. Uh, th this is, uh, a lot of this is just to help us get a sense of who's with us, how can we engage you, what do you need from the church, how can we deploy you into the kingdom. So if you have not opted in, please do that right now. We're going to leave this on the screen uh, for a minute or so as we continue. In the Old Testament, there's a character named Gideon. I think we'll be talking about him this summer. One of my favorite characters, because Gideon is an Israelite, he's a person of God. He's also what we wonderfully call in Australia, a fraidy cat. He's just always been terrified. He's a fraidy cat. He's, he doesn't see himself as some kind of a great man of God. He sees himself very diminished. And what's interesting about Gideon is God sees Gideon very differently than the way Gideon sees Gideon. So the very first time God speaks to Gideon, God says, Greetings, mighty warrior. Warrior with an A, not an O. Warrior. And Gideon literally looks behind himself like, you must be talking about someone else. There's, I am not a mighty warrior. If anything, I'm a mighty warrior with an O, right? And so Gideon is always afraid as God is saying to Gideon, you're going to get an army. It's going to be a tiny army, just a few hundred people. You're going to go fight the enemy that had tens of thousands of people. You're going to win. So that, that's reminded to Israel that I'm with us, that I'm there. If you take too many too many uh, army, they'll forget, they'll think that you did it. So the victory is the Lord's. Just take 300 people, you'll defeat thousands of Midianites. It's going to be great. 
Now, in this story, God spoke very clearly, very concretely to Gideon. Gideon then put out a fleece. This is part of this, what makes the story so wonderful. Now, I, I, those of in the room, and if you're online, you can play this on the chat. If you are loosely familiar or very familiar with the story of Gideon and the fleece, just raise your hand, or if you're on the chat, just make a note, just put your name in the chat. Yeah, about half of the people, two-thirds of the people in the room, pretty familiar. Here's the deal. Gideon heard from the Lord, but he wanted clarity. So he said, okay, God, I'm going to lay a fleece out at night to see if you're really in this, right? And so it was the wet season in Israel. So Gideon says, okay, I'm going to wake up. There'll be dew on the ground. So it would be miraculous if I put a fleece out overnight and the fleece is dry. Okay, God, okay, God, Gideon says, I'd be happy to go fight the Midianites, but let me just check that it's really you. I'll put a fleece out. When I wake up in the morning, if the lawn is wet and the fleece is dry, I'll know it's you. Does this make sense? Some of you have used the phrase, I don't know what to do, let me lay out a fleece. Right? If you've ever used that phrase. Because let's be honest, people, knowing what the will of God is, is very, very difficult. I think it's actually one of the greatest struggles of a human being today is to know and do the will of God. So you've often used this story as encouragement and you said, let me lay out a fleece. If you've done that, I think that's wonderful. I just want to point out that that wasn't Gideon's problem. Your problem is you're not sure. So you lay out a fleece to see if God will help you. Gideon's problem was the opposite. He was sure. Sometimes the problem is God isn't clear. Sometimes the problem is God is clear. Are you with me? That's the problem. I know what to do. I don't want to love my enemy. That's why it's a command, because we don't want to do it. So this was Gideon's case. God spoke very clearly, very concretely, and Gideon's like, it's all fuzzy in my head. I don't understand. Let me obscure and put off obedience by laying a fleece. Wakes up the next morning, the grass is wet, the fleece is dry. Oh, no, Gideon, what are you going to do now? Gideon's like, okay, okay, God, okay, hey, thanks for that. Sorry for this. Tomorrow has to be reversed, Gideon says to God. Even though we're in the wet season, tomorrow the, the grass has to be dry and the fleece alone has to be wet. What's Gideon doing? Does he like, oh, I've got God in a box now. God's just like flicking out miracles without even sweating. So the next morning, Gideon wakes up, and wouldn't you know it, the grass is bone dry. You could mow it without having to dig the clippings out where it's all musty and wet. And he, he can barely pick up the fleece. It's so full of water. He actually wrings out the water, and gallons of water come out of the fleece. Sometimes the will of God is clear. And what we do in the church today is sometimes we think that being essential to God's plan is optional, which is obscuring the obedience to God. This is the summer where we're going to be all in as we prepare for what I believe is the next four to six years of the church, which leads us to our final P, which is presence. One of the key aspects of a church is God's presence, God's animating presence, God's Holy Spirit that inhabits the praises of God's people, that wherever two or three are gathered in God's name, God is with them in a unique way. This is why, listen, I know, I know a lot of us, myself included, we connect with God in nature, for example. We'll often say, hey, I've got to go to the mountains, the trees and the streams. I really feel close to God. Yes, 
100% legitimate. But don't ever say that's church. Because church is two or three gathered in the name of Jesus. That's church. That other thing is great. It's good. And it's necessary. But church is two or three gathered in Jesus' name, worshiping and proclaiming Jesus Christ. That's presence. And so I'm going to invite Daniel and the band to come and prepare us to enjoy the presence of God by singing. And as, as they do, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles and second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. Now what I'd like to do is, is do what Paul did, is he never stopped at chapters, he just kept going. So 1 Corinthians 13, what we're about to hear, you've probably most famously heard at a wedding. It's what's known as the love chapter. It's a beautiful chapter to read at weddings. I would like to steal it from weddings. And those of you who are left-leaning, I would like to, you to hear it through the lens of when you watch Fox News. Those of you who are right-leaning, I would like you to, you to hear this through the lens of when you watch CNN or MSNBC. Because Paul did not write this for us to read at the moment where it's easiest to obey, which is a wedding. He wrote this for when we are at our most divisive. So I'm going to invite you, if you're able and in the room, if you would stand as we hear 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of a man or of angels, but do not have love... I'm only a resounding, a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child and I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now... We see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. And now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul is dichotomizing between the challenge of living for God on earth and the glory of being with God 
when eternity crashes into earth in the second coming. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. This is why we worship, is to get a taste of what is coming. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Let's worship together. Suffering. 
take a seat um, and gather your communion elements. Um, for those of you who don't know me, um, my name's Olivia Cologne, and I'm the worship arts resident. And communion is something that we do each week here at Discovery, um, and it is a time where we get to reflect on Jesus' sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. And um, whether you're a follower of Christ and you've been a follower of Christ for years, or you're new to faith, everyone is welcome to receive. And so as I've been thinking of communion, um, one of the things that has just been so fascinating to me um, is how the Lord prepares a table for his people to come and commune and fellowship with one another. And there's also this other fact that all of us are invited and welcome to join in the feast. And so I also think of Judas and how Jesus knew that he was going to betray him, and yet Jesus still chose to invite Judas to the table. And just like you and me, we also are invited to that table. So as you receive um, the communion elements, receive them knowing that no matter what, you are invited and you are welcome at the table. So go ahead and take the communion. In the kingdom of God, we don't only get to receive, um, but we are also invited to give. And there are many ways that you can give, and one of those is financially. Um, on the screen, you will see some ways um, that you can give um, online. And then if you're here at the barn, there are also some boxes by the doors that you can place your offering in. And then, as many of you know, we also have um, some local and uh, global partnerships here at Discovery. And so this morning, we will be praying for Night Lights, um, which is a ministry that provides support and family nights um, for uh, families with kids with special needs. Um, so let's take some time to pray for them this morning. God, we just thank you for the gift of this morning. And we thank you that we get to come and commune together. God, we lift up night lights this morning, and we just thank you for all the work that they are doing um, for our community and for the families. And God, I just ask that you would um, equip these volunteers to know how to love and care fully for these children and these families. And we just thank you um, that there's even a place um, that these kids and um, we can work together and um, make these people feel known and seen and, um, and work alongside you, God, in your works of this world. 
And God, I just thank you for this reminder of communion that we get to come to the table no matter what we've done or what's been done to us, that you freely open up a seat for us and that there's plenty of food for us to eat and there's plenty of people to talk to. And, and God, I just thank you that you want to know us and that we want to know you, God. So as we go throughout our weeks, I just ask that you, you would just be in it all. That it wouldn't stop here on this Sunday morning, but that we would walk out and have you by our side and communi- commune with you every day. Thank you for this time and this place and these people. Amen. Let's stand and worship together. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree body bound drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance by heavy stone Messiah still and all of Among the sea. 
gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Let's take a moment and picture that.
victorious king forever well let me speak this blessing over you all as you go may you be filled further with this truth of who you are as the church and who God is and how he loves you may you be filled with that further as you go this week in the name of Jesus amen God bless you have a great week this week